0: You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. This evening might be a little bit challenging. Um, That's the plan anyway. Hopefully it'll be a challenging message and hopefully it's something that that stirs your hearts in in some way and, and that's good. That's God sort of speaking to you and and calling you to do something and change change the way that you live which is a good thing um, and this evening I want to talk to us um, and to challenge us about life outside these walls about the community around us about the, the place that we live in the place that we we do church we do life um, and the people that we're called to love um, I've got a couple of little visual things unfortunately I thought there was more contrast in the in the image and the wording, but there's not. So you can hardly see the words that are up there. But that's fine. It's only a visual aid. It's not really that important. So <laughs> you, you, did you just spot it then? You just about spotted it. <laughs> so it's love. It is lovely to come together um, and meet with each other and share in this community, but. This community, this church, this group that we have needs to be affecting change in the wider community, in in the world around us. It needs to be the world around us needs to be different. It needs to be changed because we're here. I was at a, um, I was at a conference this week and um, I was chatting with one of the guys who was speaking. He was presenting some stuff about sort of how to engage in community a little bit better. And, and one of the things when we were just chatting, he was saying saying that he'd planted a church one time and there were a a bunch of bungalows across the road from the church and he noticed that no one from the bungalows ever stepped in into the church, no one ever came in and he thought we need to be effecting change so that the people in the bungalows want to come not just because we've got a nice service or, or we're doing something great here and it's great for them to come out of their houses or whatever, but there's a sense that um that there's community and that that God's calling them into something and so he he sort of started um just knocking on the doors and and trying to you know say why is it you don't come over what what's what's the reason and and you know and just just chatted some of that stuff through and they ended up um they ended up putting on a community meal every once in a while and he said a few years down the line everyone from all of the bungalows, came to the church on a regular basis. Not just because it's great to have more numbers in the building, but because there was some sort of positive change and some sort of um, some sort of embodiment of what the kingdom of God looks like, going outside of the building into other people's worlds, which I think is really cool. See, I think that's how the kingdom of God works. I think. I think that the kingdom of God is like it's kind of like a stone dropped into a lake that ripples out and out. And when you, if you were to drop a stone into like a tank, into a fish tank or something, um, don't because it might hit the bottom and smash everywhere, which is never good. As long as I'm not cleaning it up, actually, it's fine. Um, no, if you were to drop a stone into a tank, the waves just go a little way and then they hit the side and then they come back again and the waters inside the tank are stirred but anything that's outside of the tank remains stagnant it remains still nothing there's no effect there's no change but when you if you were to drop a stone into a lake the waves continue the wake of that that stone the ripple effect continues to the edge of the water and if you were to drop a big enough stone or throw it hard enough you would see the the waves going out and out and out further and further See I think the Kingdom of God is like a stone dropped in a lake. I don't think it's any use in a fish tank. I think the power to transform our community and to ultimately to transform the world is in this room. I think it's in you and it's in me. I think it's the Spirit of God. and But I think if it's only ever expressed amongst Christians then it becomes ineffective and it becomes stagnant. See, because the kingdom of God is like a stone dropped into the lake, but you're the one that's holding the stone. And you either have it with you and you you drop it when you're here, or you drop it when you're with your other Christian friends and and in sort of Christian circles and, and, and that, but or you take it with you wherever you go. And you drop it in your daily lives, and in your conversations, and in your actions, and in the way that you you interact with people, and, and sort of work for positive change. Luke ten, um, twenty five to thirty seven, is a familiar story to a lot of people, I think, and it's the parable of the good Samaritan, and we often. We often use that phrase, don't we? Uh, someone's done their good deed for the day. um call them the Good Samaritan, or if someone, um, someone's done something nice, or, or whatever it might be. But it's more than that, and I think we'll read we'll read it and we'll discuss and discuss it for a second and see what it's calling us to do in response. Because I think that's that's an important point about scripture about the Bible is that it's it calls us to do something, it calls us to respond. It's not just words on a page that we take in and take in and it's it's something that transforms us from the inside and actually affects a change in the way that we live and it calls us to respond and do something differently in the way that, the way that we live. So, just read this. So uh, Luke 10, 25 to 37, it says, Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law, what do you read there? The man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But Samaritan, whilst travelling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine onto them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn And took care of him the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him and when i come back i'll repay you whatever more you spend so which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers and the man said the one who showed him mercy jesus said to him go and do likewise Now, see, this story is framed by a question and an answer. The question is, you can't see that at all, can you? So i have to say it. The question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer is, go and do likewise. And in the middle of that, you've got a story. So I don't have time to go into all the details of this parable, there are some incredible details. There's so much stuff that's, that's packed into it, that's bubbling just underneath the surface, like life transforming messages and, and all this stuff. But I really want to share this that your neighbour is not who you think it is. You see, I could tell you how the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other, and I could tell you about the danger that the Samaritan man was putting himself in as he. As he took this half-dead Jewish man back to a Jewish town and and all this sort of stuff. Couldn't tell you all that stuff, but there are things that we could look into, but what I want to look into is how Jesus redefines the kingdom of God and how we ought to respond to that. Here's the thing: the the lawyer is asking Jesus a question about the kingdom of God. When he says, when he's asking about inheriting eternal life. Um, he's not talking about what, what we might understand by that in, in terms of how do I get into heaven when I die he's asking it in the Jewish sense remember it's the first century Judaism and, and everything that's tied up with that and he's asking how do I share into the, in the age that is to come how do I share in, in what's prophesied in Isaiah and in Ezekiel and, and stuff in Daniel and, and all that stuff that's, that's in the Old Testament how do I share in that how, how do I get that inheritance. How do I share in God's redemptive plan for Israel? And, and he expects that Jesus' answer would be to love God and love your neighbor. There's nothing new or world changing in that. That was a common sort of first century answer. <laughs> but what he doesn't expect Jesus to do was to redefine the role of the neighbor or the position of the neighbor. He doesn't expect Jesus to change the rules because you see, the, the neighbor, if you were a Jew in the first century, the neighbor would be, other the Jews, it would be other people who are God's children, who are God's chosen people, who share in God's kingdom. That would be loving your neighbor. Those who are outside of that, well, they're outside of the covenant, so they don't really matter anyway. In Obviously, they do. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> in the mindset of the man who's asking the question that's what that's what would be the case see what jesus is saying is he says that those that you think are in are actually out notice that the religious leaders who are too busy tied up doing their church stuff are the ones who aren't the neighbor and he says that those who you think are out are actually those who i'm welcoming in There's an upside-down logic to what Jesus says. You see so much in the New Testament of this upside-down kingdom going on, things that are just flipped on their heads that don't look how we think they ought to look. It's not just a good moral story. It's a story about what the kingdom of God looks like and who gets to participate in that kingdom. See, the Jew in the story discovers that the Samaritan is his neighbour, He's the one who shares in this inheritance of the kingdom. Not the religious leaders, not the ones who are too busy at church to actually do something helpful. Not the ones who who go off on all this spiel about morality and without showing any compassion, without putting into practice what they preach. Jesus is redefining what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Redefining who will benefit. When God comes and brings his kingdom, redrawing the lines of what it means to be in the, um, in the covenant of God. Not only does he include the outcast, but he says that the outcast can in fact be the one who's declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand by his actions. The Samaritan's someone who's supposed to be outside, but the Samaritan's actions are declaring the kingdom of God. They're saying this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like compassion. It looks like pity. It looks like love for someone who you're not supposed to love. You're not supposed to care according to the social rules. I wonder if there's something in that for, for us if we think, when we think about the, the refugee crisis that's going on now. You know, and, and all, this, all the sort of controversy that goes along with that. Well, actually, I'm just going to... Um, Flick over to to a verse in Deuteronomy because it's Deuteronomy 10 um, 16. I thought it was a little bit earlier than that. Um, It says, Circumcise your hearts and do not be stubborn any longer, for the Lord your God is a God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow and who loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear. See, I see passages like that in the Bible. I go, well, what should the response be in light of crises that we, we have in, in our own life, in our own world today? You know, should I should I love the foreigner, should I love the, the oppressed, the poor? Well I think to me that's pretty clear. Yeah. And to me a story like The Good Samaritan is saying, actually, these people who we think are outside, God's saying they're welcome in. They're welcome in to be part of our lives. And we ought to be doing something to show what the kingdom of God's like outside of these walls for those types of people so how do do we go about taking this kingdom outside of the walls because the story ends with Jesus saying go and do likewise that's the worst bit of the story really because if it was just a great story you're like "Oh, oh Jesus that's an amazing story absolutely love that story but go and do likewise it's like I don't know I was gonna, was gonna use a simile, which I'm not used because it's a bad one. But anyway, never mind. Um, We're called to do something, right? We're called. I shared recently um, in Burgess Hill that we're called to do, and if you want to check it out on the podcast, you can do. Recording's a bit dodgy. Um the reality is that we're called to do, we're called to go and do something we're called to participate in bringing about the kingdom of God wherever we are, whatever situation that we're in whatever turn our lives taken recently we're called to participate in the kingdom of God bring about God's kingdom here on earth and that involves us actually caring and having compassionate a compassionate response outside of these walls not just within and you know for me it begins with love a deep compassion for others from God. You know, I couldn't be compassionate if it wasn't from God. It's not really my nature. I can be quite selfish. And yeah, I I think it's compassion is, is from God. I know that in my own life. And it manifests itself in different ways for different people. It looks different for all of us. But I want us to... To know that go and do likewise applies in every situation of our lives. It's a a lifestyle, a go go and do likewise lifestyle that we need to have. It's no use if the only people who know that we're Christian and what that means are the people who are sat around in this room or in our our social circles that, that we have with other Christians. If the people if people aren't seeing that transformation that's that's working inside you actually working its way out, then in the way that we act and the, the way that we react and and the way that we care in situations, then perhaps it's time to dig into the gospels and look at Jesus and look at look at how he reacted, look at how he lived and, and, and figure out how does that call us to live, how does that call us to be different in this situation or that situation. You'll know what situations are for your own life. You know, we need to know that Christianity isn't, is not an, a grand escape plan. We're not called into the, um, into the great escape pods that Jesus is going to take us all up into the sky. It's, there's no promise of a perfect life there's no promise of social mobility there's a promise of hardships and there's a promise that God will be with us always and there's a call to transform right here and right now there's a promise of eternity, don't get me wrong but there's also a call to transform now where we are we need to recognise that we have a mission not just the people who are far away in foreign lands that we maybe give money to once a month our mission is to go and do likewise to our neighbour, to the people that are around us, to the least of these, to the ones who we don't think should be in the kingdom. Because God says, those are the ones I'm passionate about, those are the ones I care about. You don't need to wait for the church to put on a program or an event. You know, we do those things. We do. We do alphas and we do outreaches and we do stuff and, and it's great and they're really really good and they, they're great for people at the right time, but we don't need to wait for that to show love and compassion to people, we can get involved without there being a, a ministry and a sign up sheet and a, and a rota and, just, and anything else that people will <laughs> We don't need an agenda, we just need a compassion and a drive to meet the felt needs of people. So I'm going to really begin to see the transformation of the spirit. Because the transformation of the of the spirit is it's an image of what how the kingdom of God works. It ripples. It's ripples only affect the community if we take it out into the community with us. We need a go-and-do mentality. Without an agenda other than the fact that God so loved us and He so loves the world that His compassion ought to be spilling out of us, spilling over in, in a glorious, grace-fuelled revolution. There's a man. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Put it on speakerphone. Is that a great There's a man called Vincent Harding who was he was a contemporary of Martin Luther uh, Martin Luther King and he actually wrote some of his speeches and he said he said this, he said, all of us are being called to those all of them, sorry, all of us are being called beyond those comfortable places where it's easy to be a Christian. That's the key for the twenty first century. To answer the voice within which says, do something for somebody. Mm. You know, if you want a summary of my message this evening, it's do something for somebody. Yeah. Like, that's it. I'm going to do something a little bit different. And hopefully I've not talked for too long. Um, but I'm going to do something that's going to take a, a, a number of minutes and I want us all to enter into this in response. I'm going to put a little bit of music on and I'm going to read a poem by Vincent Harding, who I just quoted earlier. And it's a poem called A Light in the Asphalt Jungle. It's going to take a number of minutes to read out, as I say it, and I toyed with the idea of reading it or not, but I really felt that it was appropriate and right to do this on the back of this message. And I think if, if you want to listen and respond in however that may look for you but it might be helpful to, to maybe close your eyes, it might be helpful to, to just listen listen along with the music that's playing in the background, maybe take some deep breaths and begin to relax and just clear your mind a little as, as we go through this um, and just let the words sink in and, and listen deeply if you can. And can I just encourage you to go and do likewise? I had a dream, and I saw a city. A city that rose up out of the crust of the earth, and its streets were paved with ashes and a river of dirty water ran down along its curbs. It was a city and its people knew no hope. They were chased and herded from place to place by the churning jaws of bulldozers. They were closed up in the anonymous cubicles of great brick prisons called housing projects. They were forced out of work by the fearsome machines and computers and by the sparseness of their learning. They were torn into many pieces by the hostile angers of racial fears and guilt and prejudice. Their workers were exploited. Their children and teenagers had no parks to play in, no pools to swim in, no space in crowded rooms to learn in, no hopes to dream in. And the people knew no hope. Their bosses underpaid them, their landlords overcharged them, their churches deserted them. And all of the life in the city seemed dark and wild, like a jungle. A jungle lined with asphalt. And the people sat in darkness. I had a dream. And I saw a city. A city clothed in neon light darkness. And I heard people talking and I looked at them across their chests in large golden letters written by their own hands. Across their chests were the words, I am a Christian. And the Christians looked at the city and said, how terrible, how terrible, how terrible. And the Christians looked at the city and said, that is no place to live. But some of our people have wandered there. And we must go and rescue them. And we must go and gather them like huddled sheep into a fold. And we'll call it a city church. So they built their church, and the people came, and they walked past all the weary, broken, exploited, dying men who lined the street streets. Year after year, they walked past, wearing their signs, I am a Christian. Then one day, the people in the church said, this neighborhood is too bad for good Christians. Let us go into the suburbs where God dwells, and build a church there. And one by one they walked away past the weary, broken, exploited, dying people. They walked fast and did not hear a voice that said, The least of these, the least of these. And they walked by and they went out and they built a church. The church was high and lifted up and it even had a cross. But the church was hollow and the people were hollow. And their hearts were as hard as the asphalt streets of the jungle. I had a dream. And I saw a city. A city clothed in bright and gaudy darkness. And I saw more people with signs across their chests. And they were Christians too. And I heard them say, how terrible. How terrible. How terrible. The city is filled with sinners. To save sinners. To save sinners. But they are so unlike us. So bad. So dark. So poor. So strange but we're supposed to save them, to save them, to save them. And one person said, can't we save them without going where they are? And they worked to find a way to save and be safe at the same time. Meanwhile, I saw them build a church, and they called it a mission, a city mission, and the children came by to see what this was, and the city missionaries who'd been sent to save them gathered them in. So easy to work with children, they said. And they are so safe, so safe. And week after week, they saved the children. save them from getting in their parents' way on Sunday morning. And in a dream, the city missionaries looked like Pied Pipers with their long row of children stretched behind them. And the parents wondered if Christianity was only for children. And when the missionaries finally came to see them and refused to sit in their broken chair and kept looking at the plaster for them and used a thousand words that had no meaning and talked about rescuing them, rescuing them from hell while they were freezing in the apartment and asked them if they were safe and walked out into their shiny car and drove off to their nice safe neighborhood. When that happened, the parents knew this version of christianity had no light for their jungle (laughs) then soon the children saw too it was all a children's game and when they became old enough they got horns of their own and blew them high and low and marched off sneering swearing into the darkness I had a dream and I saw the Christians in the dark city and I heard them say we need a revival to save these kinds of people. And they rented the stadium and they called in the expert revivalist. And every night the Christians came and heard the old unintelligible, comfortable words and sang the old assuring songs and went through all the old notions. And when the call was made, meanwhile on the outside all the other people waited impatiently in the darkness for the Christians to come out and let the football match begin. I had a dream and I saw Christians with guilty consciences and I heard them say what shall we do what shall we do what shall we do these people want to come to our church to our church and someone said let's build a church for them for them they like to be with each other anyway and they started the church and the people walked in and for a while as heads were bowed in prayer they did not know but then the prayers ended up and looked around and saw that every face was their face their face and every color was their color their color and they stood up and shouted loudly within themselves let me out of this ghetto this pious guilt-built ghetto and they walked out into the darkness and the darkness seemed darker than ever before And the good Christians looked and said, these people just don't appreciate what we do for them. And just as the night seemed darkest, I had another dream. I dreamed that I saw young people walking, walking into the heart of the city, into the depths of the darkness. They had no signs except their lives. And they walked into the heart of the darkness and they said, let us live here and work for light. They said let us live here and help the rootless find a root for their lives. Let us live here and help the nameless find their names. They said let us live here and walk with the jobless until they find work. Let us live here and sit in the landlord's office until he gives more heat and charges less rent. They said let us, let us walk the asphalt streets with the young people sharing their lives, learning their language, playing their street games knowing the agonies of their isolation they said let us live here and minister to as many men and women as God gives us grace let us live here and die here without brothers of the jungle sharing their homes and their plans and the people saw them and someone asked who they were a few really knew They had no signs, but someone said he thought they might be Christians, and this was hard to believe, but the people smiled, and a little light began to shine in the heart of the asphalt jungle. Then in my dream, I saw young people, and I saw the young men and women, those who worked in the city called Brighton, and they were weary and the job was more than they could bear alone and I saw them turn, turn and look for help and I heard them call, come and help us come and share in this joyful agony joyful agony, come as the brothers in the task come and live and work with us teachers for the crowded schools doctors for the overflowing clinics social workers for the fragmented families nurses for the bulging wards pastors for the yearning flocks workers for the fighting gangs Christians, Christians who will come and live here, here in the heart of the darkness, who will live here and love here, that a light might shine for all. Come. I heard them call and I saw the good Christians across the country and their answers tore out my heart. Some said, there isn't enough money there. Some said, it's too bad there, I couldn't raise children. Some said, I'm going to foreign missions where things don't seem so dark. Some said, the suburbs are so nice. Some said, but I like it here on the farm. Some said, some said, and one by one, they turned their backs and began to walk away. At this moment, my dream was shattered by the sound of a great and mighty whisper almost a pleading sound. And a voice said, come help me for I am hungry in the darkness. Come help me for I am thirsty in the darkness. Come help me for I am a stranger in this asphalt jungle. And a voice said, come help me for I have been stripped naked naked of all legal rights and protection of the law, simply because I'm here in the darkness. And a voice said, come help me, for my heart is sick with hopelessness and fear in the darkness. And a voice said, come live with me in the prison of my segregated community, and we will break down the walls together. And the voices were many, and the voice was one, and the Christians knew whose voice it was. And they turned and their faces were etched with the agonies of decisions. And the dream ended, but the voice remains. And the choice remains and the city still yearns for light. And the king who lives with the least of his brothers and sisters in the asphalt jungle yearns for us.